with our split sermon. Matthew Steele is going to come speak with us concerning a relationship, a promise, and a future. Good afternoon, everyone. On a warm Sabbath afternoon. In Psalm 23 and verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We know that passage. We have songs where these very words are just verbatim set to music. Six simple verses. And in reality, for this message, I was able to get about to verse three. Because this passage tells our entire life story in six simple verses. It has in here a relationship, a promise, and a future. And all of this is built around one single individual. And it's not you, sorry. It's around Christ. Jesus, our protector, our master, our guardian, our shepherd. Renee and I were talking about this passage of scripture the other day, and she reminded me about the sheep in Wales. And uh, you know, most of you probably know she lived in Wales for over a year and experienced the beautiful countryside that is Wales. I don't know if you can see that there, but that's one photograph of Wales. We have another couple after this. Well, that one there would be good for Bob. He likes that mountain bike business. Beautiful country. And again, it's kind of a, a little distorted with the lights, but this is why I laughed when I first moved here and I heard people talking about green country. <laughs> because that, of course, is green country. Beautiful countryside, rolling hills, and that part of the world just stuck on the side, unfortunately for the Welsh, on the western side of England, is just a perfect environment for sheep. Hilly, sheep can graze there. There's not too many predators, 
There are some. But it's a perfect setting for sheep. And this is not an uncommon sight, right, Rick? Rick has experienced this coming around a country lane, and the road has a traffic jam. <laughs> sheep. And this may actually be a major thoroughfare through a certain area in Wales. It's very hilly, very rural. We have a couple of more pictures of sheep. And I like the last one. So I get to go back and see that this year. So I'm very excited about that. And I, there's at least two people back there that are jealous. So we get to see that beautiful countryside and get to see those sheep bounding around. Because it'll, be, uh, it'll be late spring, I guess, and early summer. So sheep. David recognized something in Psalm 23. He recognized something about us, that we are sheep. You know, we constantly get, sheep constantly get themselves into trouble. Uh, you'll see, you know, if you've been into any community that has a lot of sheep herding, you'll see sheep in the oddest of places, perched on top of a cliff, about to fall to its death to get what it thinks is the juiciest piece of grass or plant that it's going to eat. And how it's going to get back up, it's never even thought about. Sheep get themselves into a lot of trouble. They get lost. They probably get run over in Wales when you have the odd tourist flying around the countryside on those roads. They get in danger, unaware of where they're going, and really, they are quite dumb. It does remind you of people sometimes. And David recognized that as he is crafting this passage. Perhaps maybe some of us can would uh, prefer to think of ourselves as sheepdogs. We're not quite as susceptible as the sheep. But in reality, we're all sheep. And as we know, the scripture talks about that we are sheep and we've all gone astray. And David was so familiar with sheep. He was a shepherd boy. He, he grew up learning about sheep. He grew up amongst sheep. How to protect them. How to feed them. How to take care of their needs. He knew how sheep felt and thought. He knew that we were more like sheep than we care to think. That's okay. That is okay. Because he also knew that we are not left alone. That we have a shepherd. We have a shepherd. And not just any shepherd. Because it's almost with a boast that David says, The Lord is my shepherd. You know, in life we can choose to have many different shepherds leaders, people that we would follow and look up to. And maybe in certain situations, in certain conditions, that is okay. But to have a shepherd in place of Christ, to have a shepherd leading our entire life, well, that's not what we're to do. 
And David recognized and said, you know, a king could be a shepherd, a priest could be a shepherd, a movie star could be a shepherd. They had a lot of movie stars back then. <laughs> he said, I don't care about those. The Lord, the eternal, is my shepherd. It's a boast. All your shepherds, all your gods, they're nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Like I say, these other shepherds could be leaders, religious, political, social. And, you know, our shepherds can even be the crowd. And you, you see, if, you ever, if you've ever watched sheep, something startles them. Something startles one of them, and it's off. And the others see him or her running, and they're like, let's follow that one. And then they get all the way to the other side of the field, and what are we doing here? I don't know. <laughs> we can do that. Follow the crowd. Just as sheep. And lastly, of course, we can follow our own will. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to do this. Not taking any care for where the shepherd is. And when a sheep does that, what happens? That's when the sheep gets lost. In Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 6, the Lord says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. Have we forgotten our resting place? Are there times in our life when we have forgotten the resting place that we're supposed to gather with the rest of the sheep? until we finally look up, realize we've been following the crowd, or following some other shepherd, or our own will. And now we're lost. Scattered, as Jeremiah says, in the hills and the mountains. David recognizes that we need a true shepherd. We need a relationship with that true shepherd. We need to have such a relationship that we know him when he appears that we recognize him as our shepherd. And it is only he who can lead us back to that resting place. He says in Psalm 23, verse 2, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. So let me ask you, if you're a sheep, will any resting place do? Is any place good to just, oh, this looks good, we'll rest right here, wherever we may be? Will any pasture work? Will any water supply work? So he leads us by still waters. This is some important attributes here. If you stop and consider it, you're a sheep. Where do you want to rest? You want to rest somewhere safe. You want to rest somewhere that has food. And when you rest and you need water, you want it to be somewhere safe, not harmful, not toxic. And the water supply, well, an ocean won't work. We can't rest by an ocean. And we can't rest or drink from a raging torrent, can we? 
it'll sweep us away. So there's certain criteria that David is pointing out to us that makes it safe for us to rest. Not harmful. But a gentle flowing stream and a beautiful pasture. I remember one time, I guess I was about 10 years old, and I was at a youth camp, a Christian youth camp, and one of the days we hiked up into the hills, it was in uh, northern England, and I would say it was early summer, and we hiked to this one place where there was a, a mountain stream that would just flow through this pasture area, and there was a big pool that was created by this stream. Just beautiful setting. The most idyllic setting you could think of. And it was a hot day, and the water was frigid cold. And you'd jump in, you'd swim around, you'd come out shivering and warm up. And for hours and hours, all these 10, 11, 12-year-old kids just having a great time. You could drink this water. I drank this water. It was crystal clear. Fish swimming around in it. And it flowed just right so that you wouldn't get swept away. That's what I think of when I think of this passage. This is the image I see in my mind that the shepherd, our shepherd, leads us to, both spiritually and sometimes physically, as he did then for us on that day. You may have heard of a book. It's called The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Has anybody heard of that book? I haven't read the whole thing. My wife has read probably most of it to me over the years. That's how I learn mostly. That's how I read books, by osmosis. But in that, the author of this book is a real shepherd. He's an actual shepherd. And he wrote about what he knew. His name is Philip Keller. And he says there are four conditions that must be met at the same time for any flock of sheep to lay down and rest. Four conditions. A sheep will only lay down if it is free from all fear, if it is free from friction and strife within the sheep, within the flock. It will only lay down when it's not tormented by pests like flies or ticks or some other irritant. And then lastly, it has to be free from hunger. No longer hungry. All four of these must be met at the same time for the sheep to lie down and to rest. The sheep must be free from fear, from tension, from aggravations, from hunger. I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like, that sounds like me. I'm pretty sure that sounds like most of us. How well do you sleep when you're worried and stressed about something? Something, a challenge that's insurmountable and it's in your life and you can't do anything about it. That'll keep you up all night. David himself has experienced that when he talks about the night watches and experiencing that and going through it. How many of us sleep well and can rest when we have something between us unresolved? 
when we've had an argument or a debate or we have been unkind to one another, it stresses us. It makes it so we can't rest. It's hard to stay down, lay down, sleep, and rest, even though you need to when you have what seems like most of us have had in the last couple of weeks, flu, sickness, physical ailments. Me, I've been having a hard time resting because my back feels like it's got a spear through it the entire time. I've had some back problems. It's hard to rest. And those can be physical and those can be spiritual irritants and annoyances. And then, of course, we all know how well we can fall asleep when our bellies are full. We're filled and we're warm and it's time for a nap. For me, it always happens right after lunch when I've got to go back to work and stay focused. So if we're free from hunger, not just physical hunger, but spiritual hunger too, and, you know, I've been busy. I've been crazy busy. And I've not been studying as much as I should. And you realize I'm hungry. And that's why. The word of God. Better to us than bread. Keller says, in the Christian's life, there is no substitute for the keen awareness that my shepherd is nearby. There is nothing like Christ's presence to dispel the fear, the panic, and the terror of the unknown. But I want to focus for us today on the second attribute, attribute that he brings forward. Because it's relevant to us. I think it's probably nearly always relevant to all churches. Remember, Callus said that for a sheep to lay down, it must be free from friction within the flock between other sheep. On this particular point, Keller has this to say. He says, the second source of fear from which the sheepman delivers his sheep is that of tension, rivalry, cruel competition within the flock itself. In every animal society, there is established an order of dominance or status within the group. A pen full of chickens is referred to as the pecking order. We've heard of that. With cattle, I didn't know, but it's called a, a horning order. And among sheep, we speak of a budding order. Generally, an arrogant, cunning, and domineering old ewe will be the boss of a bunch of sheep. She'll just kind of maintain her position and prestige by budding and driving the other ewes or lambs away from the best grazing or the favorite bed grounds. Succeeding her in precise order, so remember there's a packing order, there's a sheeping order. All these other sheep establish and maintain their positions too, relative to the top sheep. Sounds a little ridiculous that we have top sheep, but but he's, he's experienced this, and he's watched this. Budding and thrusting at those below and around them. He says, a vivid and accurate word picture of this process is given to us in Ezekiel 34, verses 15 through 16, and 20 to 22. He says, I will feed my flock 
This is God speaking. And I will cause them to lie down, says the Lord, and I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Therefore, thus says the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle, because you have thrust with the side and with the shoulder and pushed all the diseased with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no more be prey, and I will judge between cattle and cattle. It's fascinating. The scriptures even talk about this. Keller continues, he says, this is a startling example, in fact, of the scientific accuracy of the scriptures in describing a natural phenomenon. Because of this rivalry or tension and competition for status and self-assertion, there's friction in a flock. The sheep cannot lie down and rest in contentment. Always they must stand and defend their rights and, be con uh, and contest the challenge of the other. The continuous conflict and jealousy within the flock can be, most detrimental can be a most detrimental thing. The sheep become edgy, tense, discontented, and restless. They lose weight and become irritable. But it even affects their physical makeup. They start to lose weight, which is not what the shepherd wants, obviously. But one point always interested me very much, he said. And this, I just think, is phenomenal. Was whenever I came, whenever he came as the shepherd into view and my presence attracted their attention, the sheep quickly forgot their foolish rivalries, stopped their fighting. The shepherd's presence made all the difference in their behavior. Just the presence of the shepherd made everybody straighten up. And that's phenomenal. That's an observation of an actual shepherd. And I think his insights are powerful. And you don't need me to say how much we're like the sheep, right? This happens in every level of human society, in every way. And it is something that we should be aware of. And it's something that we should avoid at all costs, if we can. We jostle for position and power in whatever circumstance. And, you know, perhaps for the best of intentions. Or sometimes, I have a reason. I mean, I have a good reason. Well, I've never known anybody to have a bad reason for doing something that they thought they should do. Right? So we have reasons. We're justified, maybe by ourselves. But we are like sheep, and we look for that budding odor. In the end, we have to take responsibility for the situations that we create in the flock. Somehow, and in some way, I think we've taken our focus off the shepherd. Because if the shepherd can walk into those sheep 
and immediately they straighten up and they act nice and they're kind and they don't even worry about who's top sheep, then something's happened, hasn't it? The shepherd wasn't there before. And that's not supposed to be so with us. Keller says that when he came into view as the true shepherd, the sheep quickly forgot their foolish ways and instead focused on the shepherd. When there is strife, when there is resentment and discontentment, then I can only presume it's because the shepherd wasn't there. We've wandered off. And the shepherd is over here, and we're over here, and we forgot to look up and see where he was. But how do we do that? How do we wander off? What does that look like? Perhaps by excluding him in our speech. You know, the, the sheep don't start butting into each other when the shepherd is there. Well, we probably wouldn't say hurtful things if the shepherd was there. So in our speech, how we conduct ourselves towards one another, if we're prideful, if we're dead set in our own views and don't take an account for others. Christ Jesus is not in such speech or in such attitudes. He's just not in it. As Paul says in Colossians 3, chapter, uh, Colossians 3, verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility and meekness, and long-suffering, bearing one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against the other, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, the shepherd, dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's a lot in here. But right now, right here, we are doing what Paul asked us to do. Because he says, teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms, Psalms 23, and hymns. That's what I'm doing. You know, and it's an interesting thing that he says, teaching and admonishing one another. Right now, I'm teaching. Right now, I'm admonishing. I have no authority to admonish, and I have no authority to teach. I am a sick, weak sheep, just like all the other sheep. But what it is, is Christ in us. It's that word, which is, as we can make an entire study on, that is that shepherd's crook, the word of God. 
And it's the word. It's Christ in us, admonishing one another. So today, I'm teaching. Tomorrow, you're teaching. It may be from up here. It may be one another. It may be through an email. Whatever method it is, we teach and we admonish one another. And we say, hey, Matt, you're, you're off the rails here a little bit. Let me show you how. I wasn't pointing at you, Matt. I was talking to myself. Teaching and admonishing one another. And that is what we're doing. You know, and I think it's really obvious that when we keep our focus on the real shepherd, when he walks into our flock and he stays here, we can rest, can't we? Because we know that we're safe. We know that no enemy, whatever enemy it's going to be, can never come against us. We know that he's going to feed us. I don't even have to worry about looking for food because he's here. He's amongst us. We can lay down in safety. We can find rest beside the still waters. And then our shepherd can do something else. But it, it's interesting to me because it's, it's a process. And he doesn't just skip, oh, I'll skip this part and move on to this part. It has to flow from the beginning. Because then he can restore our soul. He can lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He can't lead us in paths of righteousness when we're busy headbutting one another. When we're unkind. He can't lead us into those paths of righteousness because he's not amongst us. We've wandered off. When we take our focus, our conduct away from the shepherd, and all our sheep-like floors come out. They're laid bare, and we lose our way. In the scriptures, the term shepherd is mentioned I have it about 115 times. In the Old Testament, except for some rare examples, you really didn't want to be a shepherd. You came in for some harsh judgment. As we read in Ezekiel earlier. That kind of judgment. In the New Testament, it's a little better. But most of the references to a shepherd in the New Testament, can you hazard a guess who it's talking about? Jesus. There are two instances, as far as I can tell, where a man is given the task of being a shepherd or fulfilling the tasks of a shepherd. One is in Acts 20 and verse 28. And then the other that we're going to take a look at is in uh, Peter, chapter 5 and verse 1. And he says, The elders who are among you I exhort, whom I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, but not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you, who are those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I don't know if you've noticed here, but I thought it was kind of ironic. Do you see what the reward is for the shepherds, for the elders? It's a crown of glory. It's the same reward that everybody gets. Sorry, guys. I mean, that, it's kind of thankless job, isn't it? Have all this extra work, extra effort, and you get the same reward as everybody else. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. As a shepherd, he cares for us. So there's a lot in this passage, too. You know, and some of us, I suppose, depending on your point of view, which category you find yourself in, let's pick on the young first. Young may be kind of bristle at the thought of submitting, even submitting to someone that they respect. You know, because we live in a world where, you know, we're told, that, hey, we're all equal. We all have equal standing and we're, um, nobody is valued more than a, another person. Egalitarian. And there's truth in that. But at the same time, sheeply nature wants to be top sheep. And so it might be hard for young people to submit to elders. And then one thing I'm trying to figure out is when are you no longer young? <laughs> but then we have another challenge. Because as young people, we need to understand what it means to submit. Let me put it in this way. It means to cooperate, to get along with, to work with, to do your duty, to do the things that you're called to do. It's not maybe the way we would perceive it today. Maybe he would write it a little differently in our language today. Transversely, the elders have a challenge. Because we may forget that elders are prone to the same demands, the same nature as sheep. And it's an even greater challenge for elders because they are in a position of authority. Combined with that latent sheeply nature, well, it's easy to start throwing your weight around. It's easy to start demanding things. And we have seen that throughout church history. I mean, we could pick on the Catholic Church, but their entire structure is hierarchical. And they take this primacy of Peter to a completely new level. So this has always been a challenge in our church history. So our elders have this challenge too. 
the one thing that jumps out to me about this passage is that our elders are required to put the sheep first. That's it. And for all your trouble, you get the same reward. So, we have challenges. And Peter warns elders to not do what comes natural to sheep. Not to lord it over the sheep. In fact, he even states that word. And that word means to control, to dominate, to dictate. He gives us that caution. But he asks us to be examples. Not just elders, though. I think all of us to be examples. Examples of who? Of Christ. Because he was king of kings. He is lord of lords. And what else do we know him as? The lamb of God. A sheep. Just like the rest of us. Because he knew what it was like to be a sheep. And he also knows what it's like to be a shepherd. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that staff, that, is, that has been used to protect us from danger. That has been used to hook us out of that crevice that we've fallen into to get that one little juicy bit of, of grass. And he set us back on a rock. It is a comfort to us in those dark hours. And then comes the reward. But before we get to that, there's something else vital that we need to understand about the shepherd, about our shepherd about Jesus Christ, our shepherd, is that the, at the very, the very best human shepherd that we ever have cannot walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We will all be in that place alone except for one person, and that's Christ. Because at that moment, when we are walking from this world into the next, he is the only shepherd that will be there with us. And then, like I say, comes the reward. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is so much more that we could dig into these six verses. So many layers. So many attributes of how we are like sheep. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that in Psalm 23, if you were to read each line in reverse order, it still makes perfect sense? Have you ever done that? You know, right now, we are living Psalm 23 from the beginning forward till eventually we get to that prize 
we get to that goal that our shepherd is leading us to. But at some point in the future, we're going to be at the end looking back. We're going to be seeing the steps that he brought us through. We're going to be looking back toward the beginning. So I want to just read it to you in reverse. It says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. My cup runs over. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For you are with me. I will fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death for his name's sake. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. He leads me beside the still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd.